Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Steen. Michael is the Chief Commercial Officer of Atlas Air and he's also the CEO of Titan Aviation Leasing. Um, Michael is joining us for the purposes of our Aviation Leaders Report and I should say we're recording this in early December. Michael, thanks again for joining us. And um, Before we get into the meat of the conversation, perhaps you'll tell our watchers a little bit about Atlas Air and Titan. Sure. First of all, good morning, Joe. It's great to uh, to be on with you again. We're looking forward to our conversation. So Atlas Air Worldwide is the world's largest outsourcer of air freight solutions. Um, so we, we operate the, the largest 747 fleet in the world and have a growing 777 fleet and operate the 767 fleet as well as the 737. So we really span across all the operating platforms um, of, of leading freight freighters. And we operate into 74 countries around the world and really supply the entire global supply chain with uplift. And if you look at our customer base, that has grown over the past several years. We um, uh, serve the airlines, we serve all the leading express operators. We are engaged with both of the, the leading um, e-commerce platforms in, in Amazon and Alibaba. And obviously have a large relationship with the intermediaries as well that buy our services. And in the recent time here, we have seen also new customers entering the market, like uh, manufacturers of, um, of cert certain goods, um, both in the high-tech side as well as the, um, the fast fashion side. And, and very recently here, very happy about uh, entering into a long-term strategic partnership with MSC, the largest shipping company in, in the world. Um, and part of Atlas is, of course, Titan, as, as you mentioned. And Titan has grown over the past few years as well. And there we are now, uh, one, one of the two leading freighter less source in, in the world with the portfolio of 777, 767s, 757s, and 737. So really, we built a strategy in order to support the entire global aviation industry, particularly from a freight perspective, um, either with operating solutions through ACMI or CMI or global charters, or a pure dry leasing solution, which then Titan will provide. Michael, that's great, and obviously a huge breadth across that cargo freighter market. Um, can I get your perspectives on how kind of demand and uh, customer performance has evolved over the last 12 months? When we had this conversation a year ago, we were clearly in a very strong place from a cargo perspective, and we, we'd seen that step change, and we had seen that e-commerce piece really driving growth. Um, how has that played out over the course of this year? Um, and as you look out into 23, what are you thinking about in relation to that performance? Well, it's, it's an interesting question, Joe, because obviously as we go through the, or look at the last two and a half years that we have come through here, as an industry and as, as, as a world, right? There, there has been a lot of different events impacting performance, right? And, but also demand. Um, we have always said, and what was the case as well, is that air freight is really at the, the center of the global economy, uh, no matter where the economy is at, because we have such a globalized environment with glo global manufacturing, global distribution, and global consumption. And, and air freight transportation in general play an incredibly important role there. Um, having said that, our industry is also affected, of course, by, by the cycles, uh, the economic cycles. And, and what we have seen here more recently is, of course, the effects and the impact of the, the global economy in itself, but also major events like the war in Ukraine and the impact that's having on energy pricing, pricing in general, driving inflation. Um, having said that, still, the, the core transportation element is something that has to be fulfilled. And that's where, where air freight plays a really important role. So even if we see 
a down cycle at the moment where demand has become softer. Um, if we look at this in a longer term perspective, it's, it's still there will still be a very high demand for, for dedicated freighters, for example, going forward, um, just by, by the sheer growth of the underlying economy. And thinking about that from a geographic perspective, Michael, if you say, look, you know, we're probably assuming somewhat of a slowdown in Europe and the US. Um, if we if we think about the passenger side, we think that's going to be offset a little bit by by Asia coming back strongly and hopefully China reopening. We've obviously seen very recent positive news on that front. Is it a similar side on the freighter position when you think about how the market might evolve over the next 12 months? Well, it's interesting. First of all, if you look at the, the passenger side and, and compare it also to, to the normal we had before 2020 when, when the pandemic hit um, and see where we are now. So I think the latest statistics shows that on the passenger side, about 75% or so of the capacity that was deployed in 2019 has come back on, on the core trade lanes, right, particularly between Europe and the US and intra-Europe and intra-US. But the, the missing piece is still uh, China, of course, which, which has to open an impact that, it, that is having on, on, on the, obviously routes that are being flown between the various regions and, and, and the Chinese market. But what has changed is how people are flying. So the type of travelers that we see, uh, the type of networks that are being flown, the aircraft types that are being deployed as well. Uh, we, we have seen that leisure travel bounce back much faster than business travel did. And I think that's going to be a lasting effect from the pandemic because we as, an, as industries and individuals, we have learned to work with modern technology like you and I were using here today, right? And, and that will certainly uh, reduce some of the business travel that we, we may have seen before the pandemic. So I, I think as we are now at 75%, what, what is the, the full deployment going to be on the passenger side when we get to that point, call it in late 23, when restrictions have been lifted and... and and maybe, hopefully, we'll see, see um, uh, a more positive out outlook on the situation in Ukraine as well, and, and markets are continuing to open up. Um, then you will be at, at, at a new normal, uh, which um, I believe is going to be less than 100% deployed capacity that we saw in 2019, for example. So that's on, on, on the passenger side, which has, of course, an impact on cargo as well, because in normal times, about 50% of global air freight was flown in bellies of, of passing aircraft. Now that changed dramatically during the pandemic, of course, where it swung back to probably 75% uh, on freighters and 25% and in, in bellies. But we need to remember here, as I mentioned earlier, that while the networks have changed and deployment of aircraft and aircraft types have changed, only about 44% of the belly capacity globally is relevant to air freight. And that is when you discount the routes that are being flown baggage on, on a certain aircraft type, um, the type of cargo that can't fly in the belly of a passing aircraft due to size or if it's dangerous, for example, um, that's when you get to that only about 44% of that capacity is, is really relevant. So we have to look at all of these different aspects to say, okay, what will now the new normal look like as we get into 2023 and beyond? And what does that mean for, for our industry and for Lessors in general and for operators as well and the choice of investment in, in certain aircraft types? And you referenced some of the challenge we've seen from a kind of geopolitical and then you've got macroeconomic uncertainties. So, you know, in the industry we operate in, you know, the FX has been a challenge. We've seen inflation, interest rates, and we've seen Russian, as you mentioned, the Chinese challenge. In sizing those up, what's, what's been the most difficult, right? If you look at kind of Atlas Air and Titan over the past 12 months, what's given you the biggest headache? 
Well, the, the interesting thing is that all of us in our industry here, no matter what, where, what role we play and where we sit, dealing with the amount of events that we have seen in the last two and a half years, you typically deal with them one in your career, right? Um, so it has been certainly unique. And I think ranking them is, is, um, is going to be difficult because they have a different impact. If you think about the operating restrictions around the pandemic itself with lockdowns, with uh, inability to, to overnight uh, cruise in China, for example, uh, and the challenges that implies um, lack of resources, infrastructural challenges, that is, of course, a, a, a major headache from an operating perspective on a daily basis. But I think the industry in general, and certainly our teams at Atlas and Titan, have done an absolutely stellar job across the board uh, in, in a very difficult environment. Now, if you look at the, the macroeconomic impact and the geopolitical impact with the situation in Ukraine, for example, has had a massive impact on our industry from a leasing perspective and, and, and a financing perspective. Right, because if we look at the aftermath there of all the aircraft that are currently stranded in, in Russia, and arguably a lot of them are never going to come back into to the Western world and be operated again, the longer the conflict continues, um, the financial aftermath, etc., has, of course, a lasting effect as well as we go out and, and, and raise funds for further future investments, right, regardless where you sit in the world. So the industry is going to be impacted in that regard. And, and then the, the big overhanging cloud that we have at the moment is, of course, the economy. And, and, and look, uh, that also depends on what part of the region that you serve and, and, um, and how quickly it's going to recover. Um, there, there are indicators in, in certain areas, of course, where inflation is higher and still raising, right? or increasing that, that it's going to be a longer lasting effect. Uh, if you look at the US market here, things seems to have stabilized. Fuel prices have come down as well. Hopefully that's going to be lasting and not artificial. Um, because that is going to have an impact on consumer behavior, of course, and ability to spend, uh, which is going to drive the, let's say, the, the rebound of the economy as well. So the ra ranking, it, I think it's, it's going to be re really hard, uh, Joe. I think it's something we just have to figure out ways to manage it and get on with it and, and, uh, and try to take our industry forward. And maybe picking up on a couple of those themes around interest rates and inflation, can I ask the correlation you've seen between those, one on asset values and the second, and maybe thinking on the leasing business, just the lease rate factor you're generating. Can you talk to me how that's evolving at the moment? De definitely. I think it, it also depends there certainly on, on the, the asset types that you're looking at and how you invest. Um, the role you play in the industry. We are, of course, heavily specialized around the uh, freighters. Freighters are the core of our strategy. Um, and the way that we have built our strategy uh, from a corporate perspective is that we invest on the Titan side in the same asset types to a large, larger degree that, that we operate ourselves. And, and that's, of course, a risk mitigation strategy as well, which obviously will have an impact on, on, on the view of, um, of lenders, for example, and, and the risks that you're taking, et cetera. Um, Again, the, the role that we play, which have an impact, and I come back to, to the direct question that you answered, is the, the customers that we are engaging with and, and their future investments, which obviously will speak to how these aircraft are going to be utilized and, and thereby having an impact in, in, in uh, let's say, the investment that's being made.
by, by the lenders as well and investors in general. So what we're seeing there for our business is that rates have absolutely gone up. There's no doubt about it. And that just speaks to the, the sentiment in whether it's the, the capital markets, the, the commercial banks or, or other investment vehicles, right? There is just a, a, a big sentiment of risk for, for the market in general, which I think speaks to what we talked about earlier, its economy in itself. Now, that said, I think that there is still a lot of interest. There's a lot of, still a lot of capital on the sidelines that needs to be deployed. Um, so I think it's a question there again about time before the market returns uh, back to, to more, more attractive levels. But in the meantime, I think all the different events that we have seen here has had, call it a negative impact on, on, on rates itself and, and the ability, of course, to get financing at, at uh, cost of capital at, at levels that we would like to see. And, and on that debt side, I know we spoke about a year ago, you know, clearly we'd seen a, a greater acceptance and maturing of the kind of freighter cargo market. Has that kind of followed through in your access and availability of debt sources? Do you still see that improving as we've gone through the course of 22? Albeit I take the higher rate piece, but just that the avenues are, are more open to you. Absolutely so. I, I think uh, one thing that the pandemic has brought is that, first of all, the word supply chain is something that's now commonly used in, in every household, right? Good, good, bad, or indifferent. So, so I, I think the amount of exposure that has been put on the value that the air freight market serves uh, to the global economy is, is important. And that has certainly opened up uh, the interest from, from various investors in, in the space um, in showing the, the importance of the industry itself. Um, and that it can't be replaced. Uh, and also with, with other aspects that are important, let's say for the future, take ESG, right? Um, that's something, of course, that we as an industry are investing heavily in, in order to make sure that we, we not only continue to grow, but we remain uh, growing in a very sustainable way. And I think all of that resonates well with investors when they look at, at not only the, the environmental sustainability, but the financial sustainability as well and the importance that the industry plays. And, and maybe keeping with that investor theme for a moment, we, we might come back to ESG in a second. Um, your thoughts on how the investor side has evolved. Obviously, um, you guys had a recent announcement uh, to extend your comfortable chatting about it. I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts. But you, your thoughts on investors' attractiveness to cargo, as you've mentioned, right? Um, have we seen that continue to evolve and just the general attractiveness to the space? Um, obviously, you have a couple of very live private equity examples, but, but curious as well to what else you're seeing. Well, I, it goes back to what, what I mentioned earlier, I think, that the understanding of how the global, um, global transportation industry works is not only on the, on the air side, but, but other transportation segments as well. Um, I, I think there is a much better understanding and appreciation for how valuable that is, uh, but also how much further it can be, be developed. Right. So if we think about the emergence of e-commerce, right, that happened already before the pandemic. But I would argue that during the pandemic, uh, when all of us, we were working from home, shopping from home, um, we changed our consumer behavior. And in order to support that change, you need to have a very efficient and effective supply chain. Right. So that comes back to the, the, the increased interest from investors as well in this space and and we are very fortunate of course as a company as we um, uh, we announced the the transaction here with um, with apollo investing in, in in the atlas group um and, and we're very excited about what that that partnership is going to bring us in in the future 
uh, from a Titan perspective, that's what we announced a few years ago. Very happy and pleased about a strong partnership with Bain Capital Credit. Um, and, and these are, of course, leaders in, in their respective space and uh, that, that saw the opportunity through, through our enterprise uh, and the business that we serve to, uh, to invest in order to basically support that industry further uh, and obviously generate uh, good returns from it as well. Uh, yeah, it, it speaks to a huge vote of confidence, as you say, in the business model with, with, with such you know, substantial names backing in the way that they have. Um, talking a little bit about your competitor landscape, you know, we, we probably saw a lot of people seeking to be opportunistic um, at, you know, post-pandemic around you know, uh, conversion programs and, and I probably started to realise just how challenging that is. Um, can you talk to us a little bit uh, about the, the challenges in the P2F space and maybe if we've seen kind of transient capital come at it, what's happened to it? Yeah, great, great question. And, and it is challenging for, for many. And if you think about it there as well, that any assets that are being deployed, whether it's a production freighter or it's, it's a converted aircraft, um, the most important thing is, of course, where is it going to be deployed? How is it going to operate? And what, what role will it play uh, for, for particular customers? And um, as the pandemic hit, we also saw a, a large amount of aircraft, different aircraft types, um, different age uh, groups as well, being grounded. And if you're an owner of that asset and you don't see an immediate deployment opportunity on the passenger side, you would basically jump to the next best opportunity, which is to convert to aircraft. So we definitely saw a large inflow of, um, of 737-800s, for example, um, uh, hit, hitting the, um, the conversion shops, many of which didn't have an immediate home. Right? And that puts, obviously, pressure in the market on, on lease rates, uh, on terms and conditions in general, and, and will pose a bit, bit of a glut. Right? Um, there could be that risk for other aircraft type, types as well. So it really comes back to what I mentioned earlier, and that is that what, what is the, the, what's going to be the main deployment of the aircraft? Where does the industry need it? And, and, and how do you position yourself? So that's kind of on, on the demand side. Um, if you look at some of the challenges that the pandemic also brought is, of course, again, related to the supply chain, that um, there were delays in, uh, in conversion times, lead times, um, and that has affected the, the production side of, of, um, of the OEMs as well. And I think that's something that's going to be, that's going to sustain here for a period of time. Um, so, so all of that together, I, I think that there has definitely been, been a, a rush to invest in, in the converting aircraft, um, some of which at which at this particular time is going to be a bit of um, a, a saturation of the, of the market, if you like. Uh, but there are other aircraft types where, where conversions are going to be extremely interesting over the next several years. And as, as demand certainly comes back, uh, that is an area that we're looking into as well. And then you're looking at not only the 737-800s, you're looking at the, the A321 as well. That's going to be a fantastic freighter over time as it's being adopted by the core operators, the, the, the type of operators that are going to fly them as well, intra-regionally for express and, and e-commerce in general. Um, and it's going to be a great replacement of the 757 as that aircraft type continues to, to age. If you go up to, to, to the mid-sized aircraft, the 76s and the A330s, we know, of course, that the 767 feedstock um, globally is, um, is, is reducing as well. Uh, there are still some really attractive aircraft out there. 
but they also kept in passenger service longer, as you saw delays uh, on, on deliveries uh, from, from the OEMs for, for new manufacturing. Um, the A330, again, is also going to be a fantastic aircraft, the A330-300, that is, uh, from a P2F perspective. But it goes back into the same category as the, the 321. The industry has to be ready to, uh, to adopt it, to deploy it, and to operate it at, at larger scale. And that will happen, because we have seen some major announcements and orders being placed for continuing conversions of, of that, that aircraft platform as well. So that's going to serve well. And then in the wide body space, you have the, the 777-300 and, and to some degree the, the 777-200 as well, but predominantly the 300, uh, which is going to be a, a great freighter as well. One thing that we have to look at from a cargo perspective is the number of retirements that are going to take place here in the next Call, call it uh, immediate future as well, because there, there are a significant amount of aircraft that are older than 30 years in a wide body space in form of MD-11s and, and some 747 BCFs and SFs as well that were converted. Um, so, so I think all of these aircraft types will definitely have, have a role to play as, as uh, we're going to see this massive outflow of retirements um, starting already next year, but going in certainly through the next decade here. And really interesting stuff there, Michael, around that, the asset and the fleet focus piece. You mentioned the OEMs, um, and we've seen obviously challenges, as you mentioned, supply chain and backlogs. We've seen the same happening on the engine side. In looking at the OEMs, can you talk to us a little bit about your strategy with respect to your order book and, and what you've interacted directly on? Uh, and second, just the challenges that the supply chain and the delivery piece has thrown up for you. Sure. So for, first of all, um, if we look at our fleet today between uh, between Atlas uh, and, and, and Titan, we're up to 118 aircraft uh, on the different platforms that, that we talked about earlier. Um, we um, ordered eight wide body freighters um, to be put into Atlas operation here in, in the past 18 months. Uh, four 747-8s, um, uh, very pleased about uh, that, that aircraft. It's a pity that it's not going to continue to be produced. Uh, while we're very happy to to take the very last one and be the largest 747 operator in the world, um, the the fact that that production line is ceasing is going to really create a big gap from a global air freight perspective, especially on the long haul trade lanes where it's moving aircraft from a unit cost perspective. Um, uh, so that that's that's one side, and we took delivery of or to place an order of four triple seven two hundred freighters as well. Uh, the first first one, which was delivered here um, uh, last month. And we have another three to go next year. So we, we certainly have a continuous strategy in investing there in, in the, the most fuel efficient and the most most capable aircraft from a wide body operating mm -hmm. perspective go, going forward. Um, from a dry leasing perspective, there we're look, looking at the combination of both. Uh, but it all comes back to what, what our customers they require, what aircraft type is going to serve them best. And that's going to be a blend between let's say new, new metal, new production metal, but, but to a larger degree converted aircraft as we move forward. And bringing it back maybe to the ESG point, you mentioned moving to that newer technology, more fuel efficient. Obviously long haul is you know, the, the, the primary challenge that we have in relation to the emissions output. Can, can you talk to us a little bit around how ESG, particularly the E, is impacting your business currently and just how you see that evolving uh, over the medium term? Well, it's an extremely important uh, topic for, for all of us, right? Just for, for, for the call of human existence, to, to put it at a very high level, right? But, but we all play a role there. 
I, I think, first of all, we as a company engage heavily in not only setting our own strategy for how, how we can become uh, more effective and efficient and we reach our uh, environmental targets uh, uh, over time, but the industry itself um, has a big role to play. And we need to re recognize that the, the aviation industry, we heavily regulated. We're very dependent on, on collaboration with regulators around the world. Um, and those regulators play a role as well. And when, you think, when we think about the, the, the view of our industry as well, which is many times being, being seen as very negative, uh, particularly in regard to, to fly shame that's, uh, that's imposed on, on the passenger travel, particularly in, in Europe, um, I would argue that uh, we should travel more, we should fly more around the world because that's a global environment that we live in and aviation is absolutely essential, but we need to do it sustainably. And that, that means that we have to collaborate again with regulators. If we would have a next generation ATC solution in the US, it would improve the, the, the efficiency, reduce the amount of carbon uh, as well, and it would be great for the economy and create more jobs. And, and it would hit so many positive aspects. But in order to get there, we need to get alignment again with with um, with regulators' views and political political views, and the same thing applies for for Europe, right? Uh, we we don't have a, a uniform approach to to an improved ATC control in, in Europe either. So those are areas, just as example, that that needs to be addressed. But there's much much more that we we can do and have to do together. And, and we as a company are engaging not only in our own, own right, but also together with our customers in order to invest in, in significant amounts of sustainable aviation fuel. We work with, with the OEMs and, and other stakeholders as well to make sure that whatever we invest in is in, in, in a form, strategic form that is as sustainable as it can be going forward. And, and this is demanded by, by the consumers ultimately, this is demanded by our customers. And I think this is something that will be extremely important on, on let's say, the, the lending side and financing side as well, that you engage with the right parties in order to continue to, to contribute towards the targets that are being set. But it's not a unilateral decision. It's something that we need to collaborate broadly around the entire industry. Yeah, and, and to pick up your point on SAF, right, it's seen as obviously the key building block to reducing emissions probably over the next couple of decades. Um, do you think the targets that are there in relation to SAF, I mean, looking at the IATA data, and I know you've been involved in, in IATA councils in the past, do you think that's actually achievable? And if so, how do we supercharge it? Well, I think supercharging it is by, by first of all, having, a, having the dialogue that we have around the industry at the moment and setting the right targets and objectives and, uh, and making sure that production of SAP, first of all, is, is increased because that, that is a bottleneck in itself. There, there's just not enough availability and, and refining capacity in the right locations in order to get to, to the, the, the volumes that we need to, in order to get pricing down as well, which is critical because environmental sustainability is, is one thing, super important, as is financial uh, sustainability. And, and they go hand in hand. And I, I think a broader amount of of um, shared objectives is gonna help the industry to get to that point as well. And, and sustainable aviation fuel is one component, right? But there we see now as well, that the challenge that the industry has, the energy industry has in regard to refining capacity for jet aviation fuel, right? And that, that is of course the bulk of, of the energy that we're getting into the system at the moment. Now we need to, to, uh, to pivot over to sustainable aviation fuel and, and provide the same capabilities there. And that is, that is a challenge. And that's where the, the various stakeholders have to play together in order to, 
get to that point going forward. But we've seen some really good good progress there, I have to say as well. Uh, we're pleased about the dialogue that we're having with, with the providers and, and uh, certainly also with our customers. And Michael, lots of interesting insights there. Just just in closing, as you know, we talk to opportunities, we talk to the uncertainty in the macro and geopolitical environment. Can I ask as you look out into twenty three, what are your optimism levels like? And I'm optimistic about our industry in general. It goes back to what we started talking about here, the role that we play um, in the global economy, whether it's on, on the passenger travel side, which has continued to grow, connecting people, connecting businesses, uh, uh, connecting economies around the world. Air cargo does exactly the same thing, and it does it at an increasing level, as we've seen over the past several years. It's essential for the economy. It's essential for saving lives, as we've seen with vaccine transportation and, and, and other material and equipment as well. Um, we, have, we are in a cyclical business. We are in an asset intensive business. We invest in assets that live for 30 to 35 years uh, of age, if not longer than that. So we have to take the long term view as well. And, and the way to manage through that is, of course, to understand, well, how will the, the industry behave? So I think from, a, from an air freight perspective, uh, Definitely, there, there's an increasing demand for our services going forward, whether it's dedicated production freighters um, or it's converted aircraft, different aircraft types, uh, or it's even flying in passenger battles. Cargo is essential to the global economy, and that's that's growing. So, so that in itself is positive. If we look at the expectations for the global economy is that we are going to see a GDP growth of somewhere between conservatively 2.5% to in the high threes, maybe, maybe low fours. And that in itself, if you look at that history, really indicates that really solid demand growth over time. After we are through the, 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 the current um, uh, inflationary situation, of course, which has to set, settle itself, and, and it will. Um, so I, I look very favorably at the outlook for, for air cargo. Uh, we talked about the supply side. There are a significant amount of aircraft that will transition out that are just falling for, for the, uh, the age bracket. Um, and are not efficient and effective anymore. They need to be replaced. Um, and, and I think that therein lies the opportunities for companies like ourselves to continue to work with customers and, and build sustainable supply chains that is gonna serve them well for time to come. I remain positive, but we have some, uh, some, some hard months and quarters ahead of us before we get there. Well, Michael, on that optimistic note, I'd like to thank you as always for your input. And on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics, wish you, Atlas Air and Titan, a very successful 2023. Thank you, Joe. And we wish you exactly the same. Happy holidays.